This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, beer buddies, and welcome to another lock-in on the Hop Forward podcast. As brewers and beer professionals, I'm sure you're all painfully aware of the considerable financial costs of setting up, running, and expanding a beer business. And unlike tech firms like Microsoft, which Bill Gates started in his garage, or the entrepreneurs behind Uber, Travis Kalanick and Garrett Camp, who solved the world's taxi problems by developing an app from the comfort of their laptops, the beer supply chain requires equipment and materials that occupy a physical space to manufacture a product that provides a sensory experience, all at an expensive cost. It's little wonder why Sierra Nevada's founder Ken Grossman repurposed old dairy tanks, a story not uncommon here in the UK even, and built a brew from scratch using the inquisitive skills he acquired from an early age to understand how stuff works by disassembling it and rebuilding it. And while some naturally are blessed with engineering know-how, some are more, let's say, mechanically challenged. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was a caretaker in my early 20s, and my boss, a hardy Yorkshire man called Malt Drew, who for some reason called everyone pie can, and his solution to everything was, it's you, hammer. Um, he, he asked me to put some screws in a magnetic latch for a cupboard. <laughs> it took me 45 minutes. I can assure you I'm, I'm, I'm not that bad anymore. Um, but if you're like I was, then possibly other routes to building a brewery and scaling up a more preferable. Uh, not unlike Lagunitas founder Tony McGee, for what he lacked in welding and technical know-how, he certainly made up for in entrepreneurship. A printer by trade, McGee negotiated a deal with a friend, John Cross, who built breweries to sell him a half-finished kit he'd started building for a Russian brewery for a mere $5,000. Tony didn't have a clue what he was looking at when a big shipping container arrived with a big rectangular steel shell and a shed load of pipes. He was subsequently told that in order to make his brewery profitable, he'd need to produce larger volumes, which meant expanding his brew house, have the right kegging equipment and securing a bottle line, all with a hefty cost. So much for that $30,000 budget. Famous stories as these are the norm within a capital-hungry business such as brewing a beer. Regardless of whether you're opening a tap room, refurbishing an old pub to give it a fresh lease of life more than a fresh lick of paint, taking your brewery hobby out of the family garage into a renovated motor service centre or scaling up production with the latest state-of-the-art canning line is expensive business. And in light of current circumstances, who knows what the state of bank loans and equipment financing will be when we re-emerge out of the Covid epidemic into what is forecast to be another recession. Regardless of how brewers need to secure money to expand their operations, distribution footprint and packaging lines after the novel coronavirus pandemic has passed remains to be seen. But the fact of the matter is businesses will need money, probably more than ever, and will need to secure finance to expand their operations. And while we can't look into our crystal ball and predict the future of finance, we can take a journey down memory lane and explore how people have funded their businesses in the past. 
I'm sure some of you have personally remortgaged homes or used redundancy money to start a brewery or befriended investors with deep pockets, sold a kidney or two on eBay or funded new equipment through cash flow, financing, loans, bootstrapping or a jewellery heist. However, there is one contentious word in the world of brewery finance that we cannot ignore. Crowdfunding. In essence, crowdfunding is a great idea, allowing diehard fans and casual followers the opportunity to make a difference to a project to do good while allowing others to brew good. As a relatively new practice, those looking to crowdfund have largely had to navigate through uncharted water. Although crowdfunding finds an unlikely beginning in 18th century Germany, where German authors would take cash pre-orders for books they'd yet to write, it wasn't until 2001 when a website called ArtistShare became the internet's first fan-funding platform and the blueprint for today's modern crowdfunding sites such as Indiegogo and Kickstarter. As often with independent music, parallels are quickly drawn in the world of independent beer. In 2009, Scottish upstarts BrewDog felt that it wasn't enough to utilise an existing platform for capital growth, so, as ever in their self-proclaimed DIY spirit, took advantage of the decentralisation of financing and opened it up to the people, launching their own in-house crowdfunding platform, Equity for Punks. Equity for Punks has seen over 97,000 investors, or punks as they're known, and totted up a total of 67 million by offering perks at the bar, discounts online, free birthday beers, invites to the AGM, and for the highest investors, even the opportunity of brewing a beer up at their Scottish site in Ellen. Camden Town Brewery, a much-loved, at the time, lager-focused brewery in London's Bohemian Centre, also enjoyed crowdfunding success, raising over 2.7 million and releasing a mere 3.75% equity to investors through Crowdcube, only to sell the brewery months later to AB InBev to the dismay of many of their drinkers, but giving early shareholders a decent payback with one investor reporting a 68% return on their 851 shares. For a season, it seemed as if crowdfunding was the golden ticket to securing the growth capital required to kickstart or take a brewing venture to the next level. Brewers across the globe took to platforms such as Kickstarter, Crowdcube and Cedars to reach out directly to their fans and ask their communities for cash in exchange for perks and merch and, and as time went on, shares and part ownerships, many of which came with inflated company valuations. And with notable successes including Five Points Brewing Company, Leeds-based Northern Monk and most recently Liverpool's Love Lane, crowdfunding seems like a viable option for generating the capital required to turn a dream into a reality. But what happens when crowdfunding leaves sour taste in people's mouths? Most notably in the UK, when people think of brewery crowdfunding, two names often arise. Woolwich-based Hopstuff Brewery, which raised over 1.5 million through investors only to have the brewery seized by the landlord after failing to make rent on account of unpaid debts, delayed accounts and other financial difficulties. The second is Harlow-based brewery Red Church. And while both breweries sold to new owners in pre-packaged administration buyouts, one sold the business to global beer giant Molson Coors, while the other, Red Church, thankfully remained in independent hands. However, emotions often run high in these two narratives. 
Loyal fans have expressed anger, frustration and even feelings of betrayal, usually based upon the relational and heart capital, i.e. their values being offended, more than their financial capital. Although for those who invested significant portions of their life savings, it's understandable how the heart and money intermingle in a crooked sort of out-of-pocket dance of unforgiveness. Social media also ran Riot. Tweets were tweeted, comments were made, blogs were written and a blend of well-reported facts and grounded observations were added to the whirlpool of rumours, points of view and fake news. At the end of the vigorous boil, everyone cooled off a little and some people simply moved on while others can never forgive or forget. Another casualty of the crowdfunding wrecking ball. So our story ends there. Or does it? But what becomes of those businesses now? How do the new owners or the staff, the faithful few who endured the chaos and weathered the shitstorm, re-emerge and pick up the pieces? How do you go about rebuilding damaged consumer and customer relationships and tell them things are different now? How do you rebuild trust in a brewery and a brand that's had its name tainted and tarnished and dragged through the mud by the actions of individuals who now no longer represent the business? How do you reassure those who had their fingers burnt? This is one of the many challenges that Head of Operations Rachel Reynolds and the team at Red Church have been asking as they look to re-establish themselves in the market. I was fortunate enough to get some time with Rachel at Brew London in February, which seems like another life ago now, um, to drink some beer and hear their side of the story. Um, casualties themselves of the poor decisions made by the original founders, albeit in a much different way. But I don't want to give too much away. What I want to do is allow them to tell their side of the story because there's always another side to the story. So before we cut to today's episode with Rachel from Red Church, I'm going to give this week's... That was fun to record with the window wide open. Each week I'm giving brewery shout-outs to three different brewers that have been supportive of the Hot Four podcast or whom I want to share with you, the listener, and encourage you to buy some of their beers i think it's the least we can do to be supportive of one another and try some great beers that maybe you've not had before these are beers that i've tried myself and breweries that i know and respect i hope you'll come on the journey with me and add them to your repertoire of your personal lockdown cellar stash <laughs> mine is growing every day a little bit like my beer belly okay this week's first brewery shout out goes to goes to the cheshire brew house the Cheshire Brewhouse has been a passion for Shane Swindells since early 2012 and that passion, the, the passion to succeed, is the only thing that's kept the brewery open. Recently, they've undergone a rebrand and you'll know I'm a bit of a sucker for design. Uh, working with Andy Heggs from Art by Volume to make the existing brand more contemporary and visually appealing. And from one designer to another, if you've seen Andy's work, He's done such a fantastic job. He's so creative. So check out his Instagram as well. Um, art by volumes, amazing stuff. Uh, but for the Cheshire Brewhouse, he's, he's done some artwork and, and they've gone into Cannes. And there's three ranges of beer, all made with the best UK sourced ingredients, treated simply so that the quality shines through. This the signature range. These are core beers made with UK ingredients and they're usually under 5%. 
The Founders Reserve, uh, which are heritage ingredients, historic recipes, including the revered 8.1% Gibraltar Porter, which is coming soon in cans. And the Zygomist Project, limited edition craft experiments and out there beers where there are no boundaries. Shane is an absolutely quality fellow and you can't go wrong with beers from the Cheshire Brew House. So head over to thecheshirebrewhouse.co.uk and pick up some cans. Now, Shane has very, very kindly um, put a special deal on there for you hop forward listeners. So I'm going to put the link in the show notes so you can get a special discount at a special price. And I'll read the address out here. It's cheshirebrewhouse.co.uk forward slash products forward slash hot forward dash that's like a hyphen collection that's cheshirebrewhouse.co.uk forward slash products forward slash hot forward dash collection and make sure when you put your order in you use the discount code hf12 and like i said the link's in the show notes and it's on the web page but make sure you buy some beers from the cheshire brew house Okay, the second brewery shout-out comes from a relatively new brewery up Durham Way. Man, man, that was so Biker Grove, wasn't it? Ah, oh, Jeff, I'll never let you take a pony into the Grove, Sookie. There you go, anyway. Um, this shout-out goes to my good friends at Full Circle Brewing Co. I'm going to let Ben, in his own words, tell you a little bit about the brewery and what they've got on offer. This is Ben Cleary here from Full Circle Bruco in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, arguably the best beer podcast in the UK. We're an independent family-run business that's historically involved in wine wholesale and wine bottling for the UK market. Now, Full Circle is a very new brewery at five months old, and we decided to go in all guns blazing with a big kit, a big tap room, events room, offering something which is truly unique in terms of customer experience. Our entire customer zone is fully glass-fronted, so drinkers can look down at the brew house while enjoying hopefully one of our beers and one that it has produced on that kit itself. COVID-19 has been a tricky beast, but unfortunately we already have national distribution through our wine, beer and spirit websites, the pipstop.co.uk, and that's pip with a P, uh, and have last week set up our new web shop for Full Circle, which is super exciting, um, where you can buy our beer, our merch, and growlers if you're local, from the URL shop.fullcirclebrew.co.uk. To give you guys a little something back in your pocket, I wanted to offer you an exclusive Hop Forward discount code for the FCBC website to give you a percentage discount on everything on there. The discount code is hop forward, and we hope you enjoy both listening to Nick and one of our beers over the testing time. Stay home and stay safe. Okay, and the third and final brewery shout out this week goes to Turning Point Brew Co. Turning Point Brew Co. are a 25 barrel brewery who have recently moved from the former Roosters Brewery site in Nansborough. And they're most well known for their beer, Disco King, which is a full-flavoured APA, generously hopped with Simcoe, Mosaic and Chinook. Listeners in York, Harrogate, Nansborough and Sheffield can have a five-litre mini keg of Disco King delivered direct to your door. Ah, it pays to live in the beautiful north. Anyway, other beers are available nationwide for the rest of you at the moment, including a series of collabs with Thornbridge, Five Points, Siren Craft, Roosters and Armisty. And these are available through their online shop using the discount code APRIL20 for 15% off. Turning Point, great brewery. Cameron's a great guy. And uh, yeah, support all these breweries, uh, Cheshire Brew House, Full Circle Buco and Turning Point. Right, that's Brewer's Shoutouts over for one week. I've been sitting on this episode for a while, really excited to be sharing it 
with you. I'd love to know your thoughts. Join the Hot Forward Facebook group if you want to discuss the episodes and the topics that get talked about today. Follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Make sure you connect with me on LinkedIn. And check out the website, which is hotforward.beer, where you can find a range of services to help you and your beer business. And at the moment, I seems to be getting inundated with website requests. That's something that I can help build, websites and all that sort of stuff. Um, and coaching as well. So I've been doing um, coaching and consulting for clients via Zoom and Skype and other online mediums. If you feel that's something you need right now, um, please contact me and we'll come to some kind of arrangement. I know that cash isn't very fluid for people at the moment, but I'd love to help you out the best that I can. So that's hotforward.beer, or you can email me, nick at hotforward.beer. Right, let's get into today's episode with Rachel Reynolds, Head of Operations at Red Church Brewery, talking all about crowdfunding. Should we crack these bad boys open? Let's do it. Cheers. Cheers. So we're, we're drinking Bronx Brewery Well-Earned, which is a pilsner. Um, so I got these from Lottie from the Brewers Association. How is it? Yeah, very nice. Yeah, that's really good. That is good. I had to dig under all the cases of beer to dig that bad boy out. <laughs> so, uh, a hidden gem. It is a hidden Well-earned. gem. Well-earned. <laughs> I don't think markers and, and pilsners and stuff get enough um, credit no, definitely. Like I, because you guys brew lagers and stuff as well, don't you? Yes, yeah. Our best-selling beer is a lager. So I, I, I think that um, it's the kind of beer, like your average beer drinker aside, it's the kind of beer that brewers really appreciate because they know how hard they are to brew. Yep. But your, your average craft beer drinker's like, good, doesn't really taste that much. Absolutely, it's one of the hardest ones to get right and it is the most underrated. Everyone just thinks, oh, it's a lager. So, yeah. you know. So I'm here in a, <laughs> in a stairwell, <laughs> which is the, the, the quietest place we could find at Brew London with uh, Rachel Reynolds from Red Church. Hello. Hello. How are you? Yes, very good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, have you all refreshed after setting up over the last... Yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's been really smooth for once. So, you know, no, uh, no hiccups so far and beer's going down well so all good good so for our listeners can you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself what, what's your role specifically at the brewery and, and how you got into the beer industry yeah so I um, I started out managing bars and restaurants for years um, and then uh, had my daughter and wanted to get out of that sort of working 10pm till 4am life um, so I working for a logistics company and then uh, got headhunted by Red Church just to run their deliveries and sort of streamline their logistics a little bit more. Um, and over the years, the uh, previous owners kind of stepped away from the business a little bit yeah. and their responsibilities became my responsibilities, which is great. I loved it. You know, working at the brewery is fantastic. I worked with some really, really nice people over the years. Um, they sort of showed me the ropes when it came to the brewing industry itself and it's just been, yeah, it's been really good. Great. So Red Church has been on quite a journey yes. over the last few years, uh, which I'd, I'd like to break this down on this episode into three areas. So you, you, you've got you, you, the growing, the crowdfunding and then moving on. Mm-hmm. So let, let, let's start with growing. So can you, can you give us a little bit of history behind the brewery? How and when Red Church started and, and that kind of thing. Yep, so um, it was started by Gary Ward. He used to homebrew in Red Church Street, 
That's Red Church. Hence the name. Yep. I did um, wonder. <laughs> <laughs> um, he started doing sort of little tap takeovers and things like that. Um, popularity grows, so he moved into uh, the railway arches in Bethnal Green, which is yep. where most people know the tap room and where the original brewery was and the original urban farmhouse project as well. So we were brewing core range beers out of there to begin with, outgrew the site massively, demand became far too big for the size of brew kit we had. So we moved out to Essex because we could get double the amount of space for half the price that we could in London. Mm. Um, built a custom built 30 barrel brewery, um, had warehousing space, we sort of had everything we needed and, and it was fantastic. Um, then Bethnal Green became the home of the Urban Farmhouse project and for a few years everything was really good. You know, popularity grew, we were filling all the vessels, everything was going really well um, and then we got this kind of massive bump down to the ground when all of a sudden in the space of a couple of months we sort of got eked out and told that things actually weren't very rosy and that there was no money, you know, salaries started becoming something that uh, every month you were lucky <laughs> that it came on time. Right. Um, and yeah, it, it just became a really, really tough time for everyone. Um, no one left because everyone thought we would just ride it out and that it would be okay and that the owners knew what they were doing. Um, and then all of a sudden it just got a bit too much and we were told that's it, we're going into administration, you might get bought, you might not, and, and that's pretty much it. Wow. So, yeah. Okay, so, so what, what, just going back a little bit then, um, like, obviously, you, you, I mean, 30 barrels is quite big. Yeah. Um, so, like, I mean, how, how and when did you know you needed to expand, and... Um, what, what sort of decisions were made about that kind of expansion? Because it was all quite exciting, wasn't it? I remember seeing it from a distance, thinking, yeah, oh, that's absolutely. quite exciting, they're growing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So the, um, the second round of crowdfunding was going on when I started at Red Church, and when I, when I first started, the brewery was actually still being built. Right, so, so at what year is this? Uh, 2017. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it was only just on its feet. We'd done the first few brews at Harlow. We'd kind of started to build up a warehouse stock. Um, so, and demand was good. We were filling all the vessels, you know, it was, everything was ticking along really well. Mm. So the sort of, the size of the brewery was very ambitious, but it appeared to have been well thought out because we were, we were utilizing all the space that we yeah. had. And it was leaving the warehouse and, it was being sold and we were even running out of things so it, you know it looked everything as if it, looks yeah, pretty it looked rosy. as if it was it was rosy and it was all very well planned um, and then we expanded slightly more when we started contract brewing for Beavertown right so we brew their neck oil so we had six 60 barrel tanks put in just to to brew for them. I've been doing Beaver Town for, yeah, the whole time I've been there, so about three years Because that's how we first connected, wasn't it? Because you were asking about Beer GT. And yes. I spoke to you then, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we we kind of started speaking about the uh, about the threshold, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we were filling up all their tanks, obviously, filling up all our tanks, so it, yeah, it kind of seemed like everything was absolutely fine. Mm. So how did it feel then when you realised that things weren't fine? You know, when you came into work one day and it was just a bit like, hang on a minute. It, like, could you, could you sense that? 
it, coming or was I mean, it a shock? We, we kind of saw in the the owner a bit of a, a change because he had stepped away from the business. He was he was there almost every day when I started, and then towards the end he sort of just shirked responsibility and I was dealing with it which you know I was happy with I had a great team we were working really well together so we weren't really that bothered so effectively you were running the brewery yeah yeah we were we were all just sort of working together doing what we knew and and it was absolutely fine um on our side but obviously things at the top were not great we were never allowed to really know anything about the bank never never allowed to to know financial stuff it was just can we order it yes or no it will be paid for and, and that's it. Right. Um, so we, it was, it was quite a shock when we were first, when we were first told because we'd kind of just thought, we'd always been told, yeah, it will be fine. You know, if ever there was a time we couldn't pay for something, it'd be, oh, don't worry. You know, we just, it's just cash flow. It'll be fine in a couple of weeks. And it always was. So we never really <laughs> second guessed it. Mm. Um, so it was a shock. And we had kind of contradictory opinions. So it was one owner would say, you know, actually, I'll be honest with you, it's not great. And the other one would say, no, what are you talking about? It's absolutely fine, you know. So how many owners were there? There were two. It was right. um, Gary and Tracy, but they were um, they were together mm. uh, when they started the brewery, and then they split about six months before. Uh, like a couple. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they started it as a as a couple, and then they were not by the end of it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's very frustrating because yeah. you just you have all the responsibility but none of the control. Yeah, and you know then when you know it all goes bad and and then everyone is kind of on your case. Yeah. you feel like you've had all the blame but still none of the control. Yeah, gosh. So it, all this is happening, you've got the six months uh, of turbulence, and then like you say, you, you said you, you walked in one day and. You were told that it had gone into administration, yeah, is that we, right? we actually, we got an email. That an, just, an email? Yeah. <laughs> so you're sat at your desk and you're like, hang but on just a minute. Said, just to let you know, guys, don't worry, but we're going into administration. Wow. Just to let you know, yeah. this, I put some more milk in the fridge. Oh, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, no, there's never any milk in the fridge. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what was that like for not just you, but for the other it, it was really, really hard because we don't all have our own individual email addresses. So it went to half the, the team and not the other half. So those that got it had to absorb it and then try and pass that on oh. to the rest of the team. And all the time are people looking at you as the operations manager yeah. as like, what, tell us what to do, Rachel. What are we going to do? Yeah, literally. And you're like, it's not my business, but all of a sudden am I thrust into the realms yeah. of... Literally then having to say to you know, a group of people that we've all worked together for you know, two years or so, we're friends as well as colleagues, to say, I'm really sorry, but I, I don't have any, informa- any more information than you have. So I did got people the same push, email. Did people push back at you? or? Um, the staff didn't. The staff, were, they, they completely understood the kind of relationship I had with the owners yeah. where you know it had sort of been thrust upon me and I'd just pick it up and get on with it and that would be it so they completely respected that it, it wasn't anything that mm. I could do anything about and okay so let's let's wait and see let's let's try and find out some information together when they came up we didn't really get any inf- more information it was just well yes this is happening but you know don't worry because we're going to try and sort it out and you know, maybe we'll 
maybe we'll go under, but maybe we'll buy it back, or maybe we'll someone else will buy it, but we'll still be involved, so don't worry. And it's all a bit sort of, well, I don't really understand what any of that means, you know. I, <laughs> so when you say we'll buy it back, are you talking about you, you, at this point are you and the other employees thinking, well, we'll, we'll, we'll club together? Do you know what? We, we had this conversation. A lot of us said if we could, we could have got the money together, we, we would have loved to have done that. Yeah. But it just it was too much capital too quickly that we would have had to put up for it. How much would you have had to? Um, I, think, I, I think the winning bid was... Uh, about two hundred and forty thousand. Right. And you know, <laughs> yeah. none of us were really sitting on that sort of cash to be able to just. What? In London, I thought you had loads of money. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the southeast, of course you have. Yeah. Under the mattress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, no, we. Uh, it, it was more a case of that the the old owners were hoping that they could sort of buy it back. Almost, it would go under, but they could. Right. Could, you know, it's that little bit like when you see like the kind of like the takeaway that was one one day like you know, John yeah. Frazier King, and the next day it's like the King of John Frazier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly that. Yeah. Um, just to sort of phoenix the company, but yeah. you know, you know, it's not going to go down well because you just think, well, you had to run it at once and it didn't work. So, yeah. you know, is that really what we want? And I don't think it's what anyone did want. We yeah. we were all very very nervous about that being a potential option yeah. just because you know when you've been for it once you're sort of burned you don't you don't want to work with those people again no though. totally so just stepping back then before before the shit really hit the fan <laughs> like talk us through the, the the crowdfunding process and what the logic behind it was because red church mm. obviously wanted to expand like what what was the thinking behind it um so i wasn't involved when the crowdfunding was set up but i believe that the idea was to was for the crowdfunding to just fund the brewery set up in Harlow and a sort of refrigerated space and it was all infrastructure structure based really I think reading the 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 initial pitches for the crowdfunding there was a lot of things there that were promised that never happened I mean the setup of the brewery absolutely did you know we, we got the tanks and money was spent on that but we crowdfunded, I think it was well over a million. Mm. And what was done wasn't to that value. So yeah. we, we questioned ourselves and so did the various accountants that rolled through. Where did the money go? What, right. What, where, where did you, where was the money? And it's something that actually still now, you know, we, we don't know really fully whatever happened to it. Um, you know, the owners were living quite a, extravagant lifestyle so you'd imagine a lot went towards that but yeah. you know after so many years of frivolous spending it's so hard to trace yeah where that sort of thing goes and I think that you know there's a lot of breweries that do crowdfund and it works really well for them because they follow through and they have a plan for what they're meant to do I think we we had a plan we just never executed it right. like it should have been executed. Do you think crowdfunding, particularly in the world of beer, has been fairly tarnished now on because of things like what happened with Red Church and Hop Stuff is another... Because yeah. uh, you were saying before we hit the record button about how every time a crowdfunding story comes out with a brewery, you're like, and Red Church, yeah. it's like you yeah, lumped it, you lumped it. Get dragged in. back under, yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely think it has. It has really tainted it. Um, there's been so many that have crowdfunded and it hasn't gone well and it's it's a shame because you know we do really 
really feel for the investors that put money in. It's, it's a real emotional connection. You know, mm. These people aren't putting money into a brewery thinking that they're going to be millionaires by the end of the first year. They're people that believe in a local cause and you know they've tried the products and they love it and they really want to be a part of it. So it's it's it stings a bit more I think because it's it's not like these people just put money in and you know they've got thousands of pounds to spare and it's solely a business decision. For a lot of people they just want to be a part of something. So it is sad that it has been tainted but I, I think people are definitely a lot more wary of it now. Yeah. So you're at that point you've got this email as a team you're like crap <laughs> what are we going to do and then instinctively you load up twitter and it's gone public by this point yeah what are you hit with um so this we actually hit up twitter after we were bought so this was about two two three weeks prior right that we found out and it was still that who will buy us who will not you know even on the last day before we got bought we didn't know what was going to happen yeah it was literally uh, the administrators have had all of the bids i showed five people around the brewery and some of them i was showing round knowing that they were asset strippers but i had to do it because that was you know the administrators would send them and say okay rachel's going to show you around the brewery and you know, it shouldn't have been me doing it, it should have been the owners, but one of them was also trying to bid for the brewery. So, Goodness. he wasn't impartial. Yeah. So it was, you know, Rachel, show, show these guys around the brewery. And they would come in and literally just be asking for the values of the vessels and things like that. And you just thought, I'm selling myself into a redundancy here. Yeah. So, yeah, five people looked around and then we literally sat on the day that the bids went in and we were told at two o'clock you'll know whether anyone bought you, whether you're going to be owned by the previous owners, whether you're going to be owned by a new owner, and whether that new owner will continue you as a business or whether they will just come in and shut you down and strip your assets. So is, is beer being brewed on this day or is it literally like World War Two? you know, sat around the, the wireless, no, we, we'll, we'll we meet had... them on the beaches, <laughs> we'll <laughs> fight them in the air? <laughs> Pretty much, we had, um, we had no malt, we had barely any hops because the uh, administrators closed the bank accounts so we were literally just sitting on our laurels we were selling what we had packaging with what we could you know using up the last pallet of bottles and then it'd be like right Rachel there's no more bottles okay cool so right that's that then <laughs> fill what, up the teacups yeah what, <laughs> what have we got left just pint <laughs> yeah. you know um, so it was really hard because we were trying to maintain the business thinking okay if someone buys us and they're going to help us carry on we need to we need to be ready for that and we need to show people as well that we're worth buying you know all this time people are looking around you have to almost sell yourselves to them and say mm. please buy us we you know we work hard we make good beer um so we were just all kind of sitting and waiting i was actually really lucky that um james who uh formerly was at Close Brothers, now um, is MD at uh, Ninkasi. Right, he, uh, yeah. he kind of knew that it was uh, deadline day and invited me for a, I think I went to a BFBI lunch, like an awards yeah. lunch thing. And it was that day that we were sitting having this lunch and he said, no, you know, try and don't worry about it, you know, just enjoy this and whatever happens, happens. But you're kind of sitting through the whole awards lunch applauding people thinking, Come on, when do we know if we've still got a job? Mm. So, wow, gosh. Yeah. So, what, what were some of the key lessons you learned through 
that administration period and retrospectively how do you think it could have been done differently? Because um, hindsight's a wonderful thing isn't yeah, it? Yeah <laughs> it really is. Um, I don't think running a brewery is easy for anyone. I don't think it's an easy job. I, I don't think that everyone else has a smooth time and that you know at the, uh, the guys who owned us did an, an absolutely shambolic job the whole way through because they really didn't. They started the business with great intentions. They started putting money where it needed to be put. I mean, the, the brewery at Harlow, everyone that looks around, is, they just think it's amazing because, you know, the investment went into getting really good quality equipment. Yep. And it is a fantastic brewery. But I think there's this, like we were speaking about before we started recording, you know, you, you get creatives who make fantastic beer, and can sell beer really well and can build their brand, but they're not always business people. Yep. And when you start getting into the arena of beer duty and PAYE and VAT and all this HMRC stuff, it's incredibly confusing. You know, it's it's really hard to get your head round and keep on track top of everything. Mm. And especially if you've not really got a very good FD, which we, we didn't have. Um, there's no one looking at the finances and advising, you know, you should be keeping this much money back, you should be doing this. So if, if there's no one there who is knowledgeable to help you, you of course will veer off track. And I think when you start to veer off track and then it just becomes really hard, you just get completely sidetracked and demoralised, which is exactly what happened to, uh, to the old owners. They just, they gave up a little bit. Yeah. And it's sad and because they weren't always like that but you know what happened happened yeah where are Gary and Tracy now um Gary I think still is running a bar in Poyser Street where the old Red Church taproom was so in the administration we said that we didn't want the the taproom because it it was you know the rents were going up under the arches mm. it was just gonna be hemorrhaging money so we made the conservative decision to just you know cut that we didn't need it you know we could live without it for now um, and he actually I think made a bid with the administrators to take that site so he took what was the Red Church taproom and opened it up as a beer and tacos place um, I think it's still there I'm not 100% sure uh, but that's what he was doing and then Tracy uh, actually before Red Church had a really successful career in um, TV. She used to work for Nickelodeon and people like that. So I think she went back and, and started doing that sort of thing again. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. Coming up on the Hot Four podcast. The brand was still going, but they had all lost yeah. their shares in it. So it's almost like they've just been cut out, and it, it doesn't seem fair at all. And it, you know, it's not fair. They should have been updated to tell them what was going on and what was happening, because at least then it's not just a Twitter post. We're here to make your beer look as good as it tastes and help you brew up a better beer business. We work with brewers, suppliers, bottle shops, bars and beer businesses of all shapes and sizes. We're as passionate about branding and marketing and business development as we are about brewing and beer. We take a whole brew house approach when helping our clients, bringing valuable insights from our experiences in commercial brewing, branding and marketing. We collaborate with breweries, brands and beer industry businesses of all shapes and sizes and we can help transform your beer business and hot rocket your way to success. Find out more at hotforward.beer and join our mailing list for all the latest offers. Now, back to the show. So, 
you get the call or email or whatever to say that Red Church is a buyer. How does that feel? What happens then? Um, we were actually really happy because we we knew the guy that, that bought us. This is Trevor, right? Yeah, Trevor, he'd, he'd been around a couple of times to look around the brewery and I think he, he could really tell how, you know, how much pressure it was putting on a lot of us. And so when I first met him, he said, look, I've run a lot of successful companies. You know, I, I don't really, I don't drink to excess. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. I'm very straight edge. You know, I, I just want you to know that I'm not, you know, buying this as a toy. I, I believe in it. I, I think it's a really, really good brand. The product is great. So, you know, out of everyone that came in, he was the one that, seemed like he could really get us back on the right track yeah and and he has you know yep. he's come in he made a, a load of investment into us things that we couldn't get fixed before on the brew kit he came in and had them fixed straight away <laughs> said make us a wish list you know yeah, what, yeah. what what in the last year have you been needing to have done and you just couldn't have it done i bet the brewers were like finally the heat yeah. exchanger doesn't drip <laughs> literally i think that was one of them <laughs> it was like oh yeah we need a new compressor we've needed one for ages okay let's get a compressor and everyone's like oh my god we've got a compressor yeah. we can have compressed air it's amazing <laughs> and it's, it's really simple things but it just it motivates everyone so much more you know they've all got a little bit of hope back again because mm. you know someone's actually willing to invest back into us we yep. don't feel like we're you know all trying to hold four pillars of the brewery up on our own mm. and being left adrift to do it. So what's Trevor's background? I um, mean, obviously he said he runs, he's run companies, but... Yeah, he, uh, he came from the music industry. Ah. He used to run a record label um, and then sold that and then went on to uh, working, uh, running a service and maintenance company. Right. Um, that is a really, really successful business. He's still involved in it now. Uh, but I think he just wanted to do something creative again. You know, he stepped out yeah. of music and did 10 years in services. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I'm a musician as well for my sins. So, um, you know, I, I can totally relate to, you know, the, the connection. The, the connection, yeah. yeah they're, they're both quite similar industries in a lot of ways. You know, there's very little money in both. Yep. And, um, <laughs> I, you know, uh, I've, I've got a friend that runs an independent record label. And I just think it, it's amazing how, you, you know, he manages to make. A living out of it yeah because <laughs> it's, so, it's so difficult yeah absolutely yeah. no the, the connection between beer and music is is a really strong one and i mm. think for him it was you know, let's do something creative again i want to build something yeah. that really excites people because you know service and maintenance not yeah, so much yeah yeah <laughs> so where, where red church at now what's what's the score now um so we've uh, gone through our rebranding um so we've got all new sort of labels on the beer they were something that really did need to be refreshed um, and they look great as well yeah no they're a, a much more modern improvement yeah. um and they don't fall off when you put them in ice buckets, which is great because they're not made of paper anymore. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've started, we've got a proper specials calendar now. So previously we were never allowed to do specials. Um, just wasn't something that we were permitted. So it was always core range, is yeah, that right? core wow. range all wow. the time. Okay. So it's, it's not only boring for the consumer, it's boring for the brewers because they're yeah. never getting a chance to, to express themselves. Why was that? Why could you not? Um, I don't really know. I think it. I think it actually was massively cost-related. Right. You know, the cost of the sort of research and development into new brews yeah. is expensive, 
and he just didn't want to let on that we didn't really have the money to do it. So we it don't was have the money a... to buy all those blood oranges. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we know we. I think we did two special brews in the time that the old owners were there, and he always chose them and they were always steered by him so the brewers didn't really get to have the input they wanted yeah. so but now we have you know we have a meeting and we say okay what do you want to do this year guys yeah what, what did you like what did you not like that we've done in the past what would you like to do would you rather do more sours would you rather do more you know funky like ipls and things yeah. like that and you know, we had this meeting a couple of weeks ago, put the list in front of the guys and said, right, this is what we think is going to work really well this year. What do you think? And they're all like, oh, it's amazing. Mm. Yes, brilliant. So what are some of the challenges you find this side of that, if you know what I mean? Like this, oh, on the, the other uh, side. Uh, yeah, the other side of the, yeah. <laughs> the whole crowdfunding administration saga. You know, yeah. you, you're back on an even keel. Think things are going we well. Can buy more. Yeah. You, can bu- you can buy the yeah the basic <laughs> ingredients. You, 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 comp- you, your compressors happily compressing, yep. like. But obviously, you still got some challenges from that legacy. What are some of the challenges you find? Um, probably just the PR. It's the you know it's the the reaction to us that is. We still get this really negative response from people, which I I completely understand that the whole issue with the crowdfunding was you know it was really upsetting it was a hell of a lot of money and people did lose money they worked for and they put in and it was that like we said earlier that emotional attachment that people have to it it's it's not about the money it's about that i believed in this brand and you know you've given me no notice and then it's over it's it's gone Mm. and that was a, a massive problem was that the before the administration the last update the crowdfunders had was in December, so three months, four months prior. And it was a really rosy, happy update about how well everything was going and how sales had doubled and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, when you get an email that tells you the, the business is going really well and then suddenly a few months later it's gone yeah. with no notice, that really hurts people. So a lot of the flack that we got was, well, you know, what's happening, no one's updated us, why haven't you told us? But we weren't actually allowed to tell anyone because I asked for the, the login for the crowdfunding site to update people and the administrators told us that because we didn't carry the crowdfunders over to the new business, we had no right to their data. Wow. So <laughs> we were completely snookered. But this, this, this touches upon what we were talking about back at your bar before we started recording how like you said a moment ago like people invest their heart and emotion into a brand and crowdfunding and stuff but it is essentially a business transaction you yeah. know you read any of those crowdcube crowdfunder type things and it always says like you, your capital is at risk yeah now for business people they understand the ins and outs of that and they yeah. know the, the the risks that are involved but for your average punter who's like, oh, I really love Red Church, I'm my local brewery, I like their beer and so on, yeah. I like those guys, they're great. Uh, they don't have that a lot of the time. So they might put up a thousand pounds, which to them will be a lot of money. Yeah. And then it's gone, it's frit- not, well, it's not frittered away, but it's, it's gone. But it is and, to them, yeah. Yeah, to them. There's, it's, there's yeah, nothing yeah. to show for it. And they're like, well, yeah, what have I got to show for this? Nothing, and now you've been bought out, you know, you yeah, X, I, Y, and Z, you yeah, know. Yeah, I think a lot of the hurt was that 
was directed at that the brand was still going, but they had all lost yeah. their shares in it. So it's almost like they'd just been cut out and and it, it doesn't seem fair at all. And it, you know, it's not fair. They should have been updated. They should have had communication from the people that crowdfunded mm. to tell them what was going on and, and you know what was happening. Because at least then it's not just a Twitter post. But we were kind of thinking, well, they're going to find out. People are going to find out. So we may as well be the ones to tell them because yeah. the last thing you need is for people to think that you're being devious and yeah. sneaky about the administration, you know, if you don't tell anyone and hope that it just gets brushed under the rug, everyone's going to find out, everyone's going to know, and then they're just going to think, well, why are you being secretive? Why didn't you tell anyone? And you guys get your jobs. Yeah, exactly. And this was a a massive thing, was that uh, a rumour started going around that all of the staff had lost their jobs. Um, And people saying, you know, that's terrible, that's really bad. And we then came out and said, actually, no, we, we didn't lose our jobs. We're actually really fortunate. Everyone that was employed is still employed and we all still have jobs. And then almost a 180 happened and everyone said, oh, well, that's, that's terrible, you know. Can't, can't believe it's still the same people working there. And you said, we were sort of thinking, well, do you want us to have jobs or don't you? You know, it, it wasn't our fault. We, we didn't have control over the bank account. This, we were going to be out of work as well. You know, you, you might have lost, a, you know, some money, but we were going to lose our livelihoods just like that. There was a lot of people, because Harlow had only been a site for a couple of years, mm. a lot of us weren't even there for two years, so we didn't have basic, you know, employment rights until you've had a contract for two years. Yeah. So there would have been no redundancy. It would have just been, well, off you go. And you said you got family, right? Yeah, yeah. I've got a daughter. So, so you know... I, this this is where I find Twitter sphere in particular and social media it, it's just it, it's such a, a narrow one-sided view yeah because there are real people like you with 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 a child or children yep. other employees there that are there thinking laying awake in the middle of the night thinking I'm, I'm gonna have a job yeah but how am I gonna feed my family how, how I don't know if you rent or you've got a mortgage or whatever yeah. but you know yeah. how, how I'm gonna pay the mortgage yeah and if you live around here, then, you know, like, well, you've, you've all got cash into your mattress yeah. down south, <laughs> not, not like in yeah, Sheffield. But, I mean, you, you are all, you're only one paycheck away yeah. from losing your house. Yeah. And so we were kind of all thinking, well, okay, let's start looking for another job. But it's not that easy for mm. 10 people to all go and get another job in the same area who all have the same set of skills you know it's not there's not a million breweries in Harlow (laughs) we are the only one and to get in from Harlow to London is £6,000 train fare a year right so it's not even like it's an easy option oh yeah it's fine though because you'll just find another job at another brewery it's like well no it's not the same (laughs) you know it, it, it really is it's really hard yeah goodness so what are some of the positives that have come out of this difficult season for Red Church, like where, where you are now, like what, what's, what are some of the positives that you're seeing? Um, I think we're starting now to, to brush off some of that negativity. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's now people who, we're, we're getting out and we're speaking to people at festivals like this and, and actually explaining what happened and it is changing the mindset. It, you know, it's, a, it's been a long slog, but the positivity is coming back and you know where we're brewing these new beers we've got our new specials calendars it's almost you know 
revitalizing a bit of love for us it's, yeah. it's showing that you know we are different it's a different company it's a different ethos you know we're, we're doing things that we've never done before and and just hoping that people can kind of embrace that and try and look past the negativity because you know we're all nice people just just come and ask us if you, if you want to if you want to know what happened just come and ask and we'll we'll happily tell you yeah but you know to just assume that we're all terrible people is uh <laughs> yeah absolutely <a> bit much <laughs> so what's what, what's next for red church um i think this is going to be our year to really try and revitalize the brand i think last year was a lot of firefighting yeah. and it was a lot of trying to change opinions and i think this year we're just gonna really really go for it you know put, try and put out some some really creative and some really different beers um hopefully get back to where we were in terms of being at capacity um and hopefully grow the site um, do the things that we never got to do so hoping to wrap the warehouse and get some refrigeration in there and just just build infrastructure that we never got to have yeah. before so yeah just really really build the brand back to where it should have been if yeah. we didn't have a year of interruption as yeah. it were well thank you for being on the podcast today rachel no, not, not just for being on the podcast but being, being so open i think um you know as, as we said earlier there's been a lot of press and a lot of negative press around what's happened with red church but it's, it's been great just sitting here chatting to you to, you know, to, to hear from the brewery side and, yeah. and having run a brewery myself where it's, it's not been easy it was obviously a lot yeah. smaller than Red Church <laughs> but you know it, I can appreciate um, some of the things we've talked about both on the recording and off the recording so um, for I'm sure most people have tried your beers before but if they haven't where, where can they try them and um, find out more? You can find them in Marks and Spencers and Waitrose um, we have draft lines in all the craft beer codes across London. Um, we're in, I mean, mostly, if you, you go to East London, you'll find Red Church on it yep. up somewhere. It is kind of our home from home. So, um, yeah, and hopefully you'll see a lot more of us Brilliant. in the future. Great, well, thank you very much. No, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hey,